True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here with Jorge Abreu. Jorge, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Man, I love the, uh, the way you pronounce the name. I like it. Did I did I nail it? You nailed it. You nailed it. I think you're <laughs> okay, the good. first one. <laughs> That's uh, No way. All right. Um, well, plus one for me. Let's end the show while we're on top. And uh, thank you for coming on today. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited to, to be on. Um, I've known you for, for a while now. And yeah. 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 I think actually we, I know we had talked online a bit. We got to finally meet at the uh, best ever conference last year and, and uh, tried to work on a few things this year together. So something will, uh, will land for sure for us. I know this year coming up. But uh, let's, for, for those who, who don't know who you are, uh, take a few minutes and give us a bit on, on your background, um, how you got into it, and, and where you are right now and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I started in South Florida. I'm uh, born and raised in, in Miami, Florida. And uh, when I was getting my engineering degree, I kind of uh, realized I didn't want to be an engineer. And I knew I wanted to start my own company. Um, Several members of my family had their own company, and I had kind of just been around that while I was growing up and um, didn't know what. I started doing some research on different uh, successful individuals and kept running back to real estate investing. So I got drawn to that, started uh, doing some research, and finally got well-educated on it and started doing some single-family deals. By that time, I had already graduated um, and working in the, in the UPS in the engineering department got up to doing enough deals where I felt the money was consistent and I was actually losing money by being at my W2. So <laughs> yeah, that's when I, when I quit. Um, Good for you. Was, how, yeah, how long yeah. from uh, graduation to, to that point? How, how long? Are we talking? Oh man, I want to say I was maybe working full time there two years or less. So new graduate, working full time, built built a side hustle in real estate and to the point that it was more profitable for you to leave your your steady job uh, within two years. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Family thought I was crazy. but <laughs> Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. Um, then, uh, so started doing single family, really got drawn to the fix and flips and wholesales. So, you know, we would wholesale a bunch of deals and then the ones we really liked, we would keep and fix and flip. Had some issues finding good contractors, then had the market crash. It hit really bad in South Florida. And then that's when I moved to Dallas. Looked at other markets and Dallas was very stable. They weren't inflating prices like, like they were in the east and west of the US. So made that move. And, and at that point, I kind of tilted and started doing more rentals. Bought some small multifamily, like eight plexes. And um, when the market kind of heated back up, I went back to my fix and flips and really wanted to scale that. And I got burned by a contractor in doing that. And I realized that if I bought construction in-house, that was really going to help me take it to the next level as far as scaling and, 
and being able to do more properties. So that was um, about 11 years ago. And um, started JNT Construction and uh, it worked out. You know, it, it, a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, trial and error. <laughs> but uh, I, I'd like... I'd like to pause right there and because that I think is a point that a lot of flippers probably get to. And, and I know that's not the, the core for this uh, podcast or our audience, but it is always interesting to me. You know, people decide either, OK, I'm going to partner with a contractor or I'm still going to use third parties. But at some point, it just doesn't make sense. And they say, OK, I'm going to do it in-house. What, what does it actually mean to, to bring that in-house? Can you can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a. I started becoming so involved in the construction part of it, even though I was I was hiring a, a third party, but I wanted to make sure things were getting done a certain way and, and, and putting in my systems and procedures that at one point, I mean, I was pretty much the one giving direction to everybody mm-hmm. and DC was kind of just standing around. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, at, at that point I was like, well, why am I doing this? You know, why am I hiring a GC? So, um, you've got to build you've got to get your crews and that that are mainly loyal to you and you've got to um as you grow then you've got to add some project managers and you've got to you know there was definitely a a transition and um some things i did that didn't work out and Mm -hmm. i had to adjust and and whatnot but um the end of the day you know we we started getting up to about 30 to 40 clips a year um so it worked you know i was able to scale but I kind of hit a wall where it was difficult to continue to scale from there. And then that's when I got introduced to multifamily syndications. Before that, that was about four years ago, I didn't know that existed. You know, I, mm-hmm. I thought people buying these multifamily apartments that are 100 plus units were just coming in with millions of dollars of their own and, and right. taking them down. I got introduced by a client actually with the construction company. We were doing some work for them at their multifamily and then I started asking questions and, and once I was introduced to that, I mean, I just, I went nuts um, <laughs> and started getting educated and, and um, started making that tilt towards multifamily. At first I was doing both single family, multifamily. Mm-hmm. At one point I kind of realized that I wanted to be in the multifamily space and I really wanted to go after that. So I just cut off single family altogether. That's um, with the investments and the construction company. Um, that was maybe about three years ago. You know, now I'm right at about 2000 doors. Uh, we're looking to have a great year this year, take it up to the next level. And uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a great, that's a great summary. So, so now um, you're owner of, of 2000 units. Are these mostly syndicated deals? Yeah. These are all, all of them are syndicated. All of them syndicated deals. Okay. Some, somewhere you're the lead, somewhere you're partnering with other folks. And uh, I know from our previous uh, outside of this conversation, uh, you bring a ton of value with the construction company as well. Um, so talk about just how your company adds value to to the general partnership. Yeah, so I mean, we obviously have you know, years of experience doing this. And then um, when we're first looking at the asset during due diligence and, and even before then, you know, we're getting really detailed on the CapEx and what the property is going to need. By the time we're done with due diligence, I mean, you know exactly down to the cent how much we're going to need to execute the entire business plan, you know, take care of the deferred maintenance, do the upgrades, everything. And then the execution, you know, the second we, we close on a deal, we're there next day um, knocking things out. Um, we don't waste time. And, Can't waste uh, time. Yeah. Time, time is definitely money yep. in multifamily. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that tip for everyone listening, do not wait. Do not think oh, I can close and maybe we'll get someone out the next week and we'll look the week after. Day one, you got to have your bids lined up, your contractors ready to go. I mean, they got to be ready to hit the ground running, running first thing the next morning, right? Yep. yep. No, I see it all the time where investors wait and, and I mean, months, you know, they're still trying to figure things out and figure out their scope and clearly their CapEx budget was not accurate if they're still trying to figure things out. So, um, right. I made yeah. that mistake on my first deal. I waited too long. I didn't just, you know, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get a sense of the property first, then we'll start spending money. Um, but man, you, you're digging yourself a hole. That's just going to take you longer and longer to build out of uh, yeah. every, with every day that you wait. And I think there's a couple items that you can maybe, you know, if there's an amenity, you know, you want to do an amenity, but you're not quite sure, you know, something like that, you can maybe wait, but you should have that contingency amount there. Oh yeah. And I mean, look, you, you can't spend every dollar in your CapEx budget on day one, but you have to start and you have to have a plan and, and start yeah. working through that, that project plan so that you, you're not just sitting idle. Um, you've always got to have some, something moving, someone working until that, that project is done. So let's talk then about um, how you can help before we get into your, your true multifamily story. Um, just how can your construction company help someone? I know we talked about, you know, I, know I see you guys posting about doing due diligence all the time. You know, if, if, can I just hire you guys to come do diligence on my multifamily property? What, what does that look like? How, how, how could we work together? Yeah. So, I mean, we started off doing due diligence just for our properties, right? And then, um, I started seeing some of the other due diligence that was done on other investor properties and, and completely different than what I, you know, I was doing online. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, that we could offer our services, that there's, there's definitely a, a benefit, um, something that we offer that's different than, than others um, in the aspect where we, we treat it like it's our asset. And like I said, you know, by the time when you get our report, you know exactly what you're going to spend not just deferred maintenance, upgrades, everything. So we get very detailed. And uh, yes, to answer your question, you can hire us to just come out and do due diligence. That's something beginning of last year, I decided that I was going to start doing more. Um, and then, uh, you know, we can also execute CapEx after that. Um, right. Which is even more great. And, and I would say to anyone looking to do that to hire Jorge's company or any other company, I mean, you can certainly hire someone to do that due diligence and put a scope of work together, and then you can do what you want with it. Uh, but then Jorge can follow up and execute on that. We, for the first time, uh, hired a company, it wasn't your company, to do due diligence for us this year on a project, and uh, then handed that plan to someone else. And uh, it, it does present some challenges because the, the company that builds a plan can execute it because you know you've got the contractors that are giving you those bids and you know how you're going to do it. And we've talked about the scope and the plan. So, so it's a lot more efficient that way. So I would recommend if you're going to hire someone for DD, uh, plan to have them execute that plan as well. But not, that's not to say it can't be done. But great. That's a really good summary. And if anyone is you know, well, let's talk about areas. Where where are you operating? Where are is it just the Southeast U.S.? What's uh, where where can we call you for help? Oh uh, man, it's 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 constantly growing. You know, we started in Texas. Obviously, we got um, we've got staff in, in Dallas and Houston. We've got full time salary staff, but we've really gotten the mobilization part of it down. So you know, we're doing stuff in in Georgia, Oklahoma. And at this point, I mean, we're pretty much open to to doing it anywhere. Great. So guys, I highly recommend that. But Jorge, let's talk about 
the very sexy topic of insurance claims. <laughs> um, I know that that you have a great story for us f- um, about insurance. It's something that probably most people think of as, as an afterthought. It's an expense that we all know we have to bear, but not something that uh, we always necessarily want to deal with or are even very well versed in shopping for, planning for, I'm guilty myself. You know, my broker tells me, hey, this is the update for the year. You know, your coverage isn't really changing. I say, okay, <laughs> you know, we're good. We'll keep it rolling. But let's let's dive in. Tell me, tell us about the importance of it, some of the the big events that you guys had happened this year and uh, take, a, take us through it. Yeah. So I guess I can start with something you want to make sure your, your policy covers. And I know from experience, you want to make sure you have these things. Uh, one is... Uh, Rent loss. So you mm-hmm. want to make sure that it covers your rent loss in case of a, um, a loss. And um, building code upgrades. So very important because oh, that's have a good a, one. Yeah, you have a large loss and you got to come in and you know the city's requiring you to upgrade all your electrical meters and it's not in your policy, then you have to pay that out of pocket. Um, so so really, then they would the insurance company would pay for the work to be redone as it was, not how the city is now requiring you to make it be, right? Correct, so, correct. I'll give you a quick example. Like if uh, you've got a flat roof and it was built with no insulation, no ISO boards on it, and now you've got to redo the whole roof, but the city requires you to have three-inch ISO boards um, Depending on how big that roof is, I mean, we're talking about thousands of dollars for sure. If your policy is excluding that, then you've got to come out of pocket. Very good. <laughs> Very um, important. <laughs> so, yeah, code upgrades, uh, rent loss, and last one I would probably mention is asbestos. So, the insurance company is not going to cover you just for asbestos. Like, if you go and you test and you have asbestos, but if there's a large loss, usually a fire, most cities are going to require you to get an asbestos test done. And if you have it, then you've got to get it abated. And that could be really costly. So you got to make sure the insurance is not excluding that from the fire loss. Got it. That'd be a pretty bad one-two punch of a fire and then asbestos. Yeah, yeah. Now you're really stuck. Big difference from, uh, you know, having a, a claim come in and then and really, if you get a good policy at, at the end of a, a large claim, I mean, you could be in pretty good shape. You could end up with nice upgraded units and barely anything out of pocket. So tell me about that process a little bit. I, I put in a claim. I have a big loss, fire, let's say. I put in a claim. Talk, talk me through that process. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? Um, how do I need to, how do I know that I'm, I'm getting the best, you know, return from the invest from the insurance company? Um, do, you know, do I need to call anybody, the city, other people like, Tell me everything I need to know about this. A lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, look, the an insurance company's a business, right? So, when it comes to especially multifamily properties or commercial properties, they're not just going to turn over and 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 give you the claim and, and cover everything. Their first reaction is to either deny it, which obviously on a fire it's kind of difficult, even though they'll try. I mean, they'll try to see what the cause was. Um, and then just not pay out fully uh, on it and everything that they should cover. So you need to know that going in. You need to know that you're the adjuster that shows up that represents the insurance company is not your adjuster. He's not, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. Great point. Um, 
Great point. He is hired and works for the insurance company whose best interest is to spend as little as possible on your claim. Exactly. So we usually bring in our own adjuster, a public adjuster that can fight for us on our behalf and make sure that we get everything covered. Now you do have to pay them something, but if you build a good relationship, you know, you can take that down pretty low. And, and for them, if they're a good public adjuster, they're going to make up for it in, in how much they end up getting covered versus what you would have gotten covered. Um, without so is, um, just, can you give us some, some ranges on, on what an adjuster might cost? Is it an upfront fee? And you know, what sort of upside do you generally yeah. see when they're representing you? Yeah. So it's, um, it's not, a, it shouldn't be upfront. Um, it, should, it should be paid out from the total collected from the insurance. Your standard is usually around 10%. You can get somebody to do it for about five to 7%. That's, that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, and then they will, usually they wouldn't get that till the end, you know, to the last uh, draw from the insurance. And then they would take their cut from it and, and pay the difference. Now their best interest is if they're getting paid on a percent of what they get you, they are trying to get you the highest number from the insurance yeah. company. Is that right? So they're going to take care of all the communication from them. You know, once you hire them, sign their agreement, they're going to be the lead and they're going to contact the insurance company's adjuster, the insurance company. Um, and they're going to be negotiating going back and forth with them and trying to get the highest amount they can. Okay. So how do I know what to look for? How do I know a good adjuster if I've not used one before, if I'm looking to build out my team? Um, references, I would say, you know, contact other investors in, in the area. I mean, that's, uh, that's what I did the first time we had um, a large claim was I contacted other investors and um, I got maybe like 10 referrals, called them all up and um, went with the one I felt most comfortable. And what, what's something that would make you feel more or less comfortable with an adjuster? You know, what, what type of things would they say that, that might give you the warm and fuzzies or might scare you off a little bit? <laughs> Um, you know, one is, is obviously the amount they want, you know, the, the, mm, the rate the okay, yep. and how they want that fee. Like you said, if anybody says up front and no, Run. Way. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely don't pay them up front. And then just references as well. You know, I, I want to talk to somebody that's used them and, and had success, um, is the biggest thing for me. All right. So I have this claim. The insurance company is saying one thing. I've hired an adjuster that I've vetted and you're saying they take over the whole process. So they're going to negotiate on my behalf. What happens if they don't get as much or is there, is it possible they can get less than what the, the insurance company was initially offering? You know, what, are there any downsides to using an adjuster? No, I mean, I would say you don't want to be hundred percent hands off. You know, I'm still, I still review the estimate. Uh, I don't know if it's because of my construction background, if that's going to be different for somebody else. But, um, you know, I'm always adding items in there, too, to make sure that are covered. And then um, I do make calls to to the city or my team does to, to see what they require, which, I mean, some adjusters may even do that for you, too. I just, I'm, I'm used to doing it. So, right. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, then getting less, that, that I've never seen that. I mean, their job okay. is to get you more. Right. Okay. Good. Um, I mean, that, that would, I'd be really mad if I got yeah. less and then I still had to pay him some percentage. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it's not to do on every claim. And then again, you know, not every, you don't want to file too many things on your insurance either. You know, it's gotta right. be a certain point that makes sense to, to file it. Another thing I didn't mention in the beginning is your deductibles, you know, 
be careful on what you sign up for your deductible and um, be careful with the wind and hail. Sometimes there's a different deductible for wind and hail, at least in Texas and Oklahoma, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so last thing you want to do is have a really high deductible on wind and hail. And then you got to come out of pocket to replace your roofs. Okay. That's a good tip. In general, how are you, how much insurance are you getting? Are you getting um, as much as repair? you know, what you purchased the property for? Are you putting an umbrella policy on top of that? How much, how much should I be looking for? On the amounts, I mean, we kind of lean towards the, the lender, you know, the okay. lender requirement. Yep. Usually that's pretty, I feel pretty comfortable with those, you know, to yep. have also trying to try to have a, where it's not um, building specific. So where you're, if, if your coverage is 9 million, it's 9 million no matter what. And it's not 9 million, but it's capped at, whatever, 200,000 on each building. Right, right. If you have nine buildings, you're limited to a million per building. Yeah, we don't want that. Okay, can you can you get into us and, and tell us uh, as much as you can, because I, I know you posted on social media early this year, you guys had a, a big fire at, at one of your properties. Um, just talk us through, you know, what, what happened? Tell us about it. Yeah, it's, um, so we've had back-to-back years where we've had a fire right before we're, we're getting ready to do a refi cash out. That's a great time for a fire. Yeah, yeah, perfect time. Exactly what we wanted. Um, (laughs) So we've had to act pretty, pretty quick. I guess I didn't mention, you know, this process, unless you're on top of it, and unless you've got a good team, I mean, another thing the insurance company wants to do is drag it on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't want to fork out that money. Of course. Um, So obviously, with with, in our case, um, with both these situations, we need to get it done as quick as possible. So not wasting any time, man. I mean, the second that I think I got alerted this last time was maybe midnight or it's always late at night. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not 11 o'clock on a Tuesday when these things happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, at that point, first thing I did was put my, my insurance agent on a call, you know, let, let him know, or I think I saw him, you know, or text, but I didn't find him. Same with the the public adjuster. You know, I knew who we were going to use already. and kind of just geared up the whole team. I got my construction team ready. So, you know, at the same time that we're working with the insurance, my construction team is also gearing up to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't start right away because then you can run into issues where the insurance, insurance has got to be able to do their due diligence in a sense. The only thing you can could and should do is stop any further damage. So like if you've got a large hole in the roof, then yeah, you should do a temporary fix for that so that it doesn't continue to damage the interior. So just getting all that set up and then you know, every day, I think for the, for the following two weeks after that, you know, every day I was on the phone with someone, something about the, the fire claim and, and getting everything set up. Finally got approval from the insurance. It took, uh, took a little bit longer than I wanted to. They were kind of uh, fighting us on some stuff, you know, trying to, trying to not cover, trying to yeah. deny the claim. Finally, we put enough proof and, and they went ahead and accepted it. So uh, now we're just waiting on, we got them to clear a deposit and we're getting ready to start on it. That's another thing, man. There's so many people involved. Uh, once again, you've got to be efficient. you got to be organized because we're going to have a check cut from the insurance that is then going to go to our public adjuster because they're going to be named on it. Mm-hmm. They're going to sign off on it. Then that check is going to come to us because... The apartment, you know, the LLC that the apartment's under is on there. We got to sign that. Then we got to send it to our property manager, you know, up, to put it in our operating account. No, kidding. I, I missed the whole step. 
then we got to send it to the lender because the lender's on there too. Right. The lender's right. got to sign off on it <laughs> and then send it to um, our property manager. And that's just the process to literally sign the check and put it in the account. I mean, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So many hands in, in the pot on that one. So you said you're still haven't started the work on this, right? So how, how long from the fire to the time you got through this process and now can start work? I remember, man, I want to say it was October. Um, October. Okay. So we're talking three to four months or so. Um, And you also mentioned uh, at the various top of the show to have the lost rent. So not only um, are you covering, you know, the, the repairs, but presumably the insurance company is covering um, all the units that are out that obviously your tenants had to move out because you can't live there, um, but you are still receiving the amount of rent that you would have received. Right, but that's not automatic either. You, you've got to provide a ton of um, paperwork. Um, right now, we've provided them with all that paperwork and they've decided to hire an accountant to go through it all. So okay. we're still... It's not as easy as showing them a lease. No. no. <laughs> or maybe two, two to three months into it, I think it's closer to two, but um, yeah, it's still no rent loss, so we had to cover, you know, that loss in rent. Right. It there's just so much, so much to know, and and uh, I know we just scratched the surface on it, but that that's so helpful. Do you have, if you don't want to give us specific numbers, um, for this case, can you give us an idea of what the insurance company was offering and what you ended up with by using the public adjuster? So on this one, we didn't even bother to get. So timing is of the essence, right? Yeah. It's actually comes out less expensive with the adjuster if you let them start from the beginning oh okay i mean they build their own estimate we don't even get an estimate from the insurance so insurance Um, is okay waiving that they're not going to insist that they send someone as well no they send someone they send someone but versus waiting waiting for them to send someone waiting for their estimate to put together and then then sending that to us which we know is going to be less um got it from experience we just know it is yeah of course we have our adjuster put it together and then once that other adjusters are signed on the insurance side, boom, you know, deliver it to them. Okay. This, is what, this is what we should get paid. What do you think? Got it. So I love that because uh, time is so important. You're not even waiting to try to play the game and try to negotiate. Yeah. It's no. we know what it's going to take. Here's the number. You know, there's no way their number is going to be higher than yours anyway. So, so here it is. There'll be a lot of hesitation in that. I get it. Some investors are, are going to want to say, you know, well, I want to see what the insurance is going to give me. Sure. It's like, okay, man, if you want to do that, you're, you're, you're wasting time, but go right. for it. You're paying, you're paying taxes and insurance and everything on those units that are not getting fixed. They're probably getting worse. They're more likely to be damaged. There's more likely to be you know, hurt the overall reputation of the property. I mean, it does nobody any good to leave those units burned up and, and not repaired. So, man, right. Jorge, there's so much information in this episode. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to appreciate it. Um, I'm going to ask you for the true, your true multifamily tip. But before we do that, uh, can you please uh, tell our audience where they can find out more about you? Anything you want to promote, now's your chance. Yeah, no, for sure, man. As far as um, investments go, you know, we, we put a ton of free content on our, our website, which is elevatecig.com. Um, you can see some of our 506C offerings on there too, if you're interested in investing passively. Um, and then our construction website is JNT Construct. So no ION, just JNT <laughs> Construct. Even though I will, if you put JNT Construction, it's good. I've got to forward it to JNT Construct, <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> um, same there, you know, you'll find a bunch of details about what we do and, and how we help investors. And then uh, if your listeners want to email me as well, they can at George or Jorge, J O R G E, 
at elevatecig.com and I can send over, I've got a bunch of checklists and um, actually insurance. I've been creating one on, on insurance on what to do step by step. So if your listeners email me, I'll make sure to finish it. That's awesome. It. <laughs> a little to do for you. Yeah. Uh, Listen, Jorge provides so much value and education, and I'm learning just through your social media posts. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that that we will work together very soon. If you guys have any interest at all, please give Jorge a call, and uh, he will definitely help you out for sure. Okay, all of uh, Jorge's links, bios, um, social media—that's all going to be on our website, TrueMultifamily.show. You can look up Jorge's episode while you're there. Please make sure you like leave us a rating and review. We love your reviews. Uh, Jorge, here we are. Uh, your true multifamily tip. Someone is looking to get into multifamily real estate investing. The first thing you tell them is what? Get the right mindset. I guess depending where they're coming from, but I know a lot of them make the transition from single family or smaller multifamily. Numbers are bigger. The equity that needs to be brought in is obviously bigger, but um, if you manage the asset correctly, it, it could actually be easier than some of the smaller stuff. Um, you just have to have that mindset that, that's ready to think bigger and, and that should help push you forward. I love it. Such good advice. I 100% agree. Really helpful. Everyone, check out Jorge Abreu, jntconstruct.com and, uh, and all of his other sites and social mentioned before. Jorge, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it and I really hope you'll come back. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co. 